0: Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> the Rescuers Down Under. And when you listen to this trailer, bear in mind that this film launched the same day, November 16th, 1990, as Home Alone, which made 10 Times the 47 million that the rescuers down under made. Disney were about to hit their A game, but it wasn't today. Walt
1: Disney Pictures presents its all new 29th full length animated motion picture Australia. Mysterious. Untamed. And for a young boy named Cody and his magnificent golden eagle, it was a world of adventure and discovery. Fire! Until. They met the villain, McLeach. That bird's gonna make me rich. An evil trapper who threatens to separate them forever. It's time you learned how to fish for crocs. But though hope is running out, a message is on the way to the Rescue Aid Society. There has been a kidnapping in Australia. And two little heroes, Bernard and Bianca, are flying in.
2: Let's go for
1: it! It's the rescuers in the most dangerous mission ever. We'll never make it! Chop your seatbelts, mates. Now, they're joining forces with their new friend, Jake, and his army of misguided mates.
2: Howdy, howdy,
1: howdy. Aw, oh, Frank, give it a rest. They're flying into action, riding into danger. Missed. Oh, in the most breathtaking rescue mission ever. No.
2: Hey, who killed the music?
1: Oops.
2: Yeehaw, this
1: holiday season, join Bernard, Bianca, Jake, and (laughs) in an adventure above the ordinary in the land down under. Walt Disney Pictures' The Rescuers Down Under.
2: Throw another shrimp in a barbie, sports fans. Here we come!
0: Once again, we are joined on this episode by Daniel Floyd of Extra Credits. So the next movie was The Rescuers Down Under, released in 1990 as the first theatrical sequel to a Disney animated classic kicking off what would become a staple of the late 90s and early 2000s, the direct-to-video sequel. Unlike those, which almost always had cheap animation designed to shovel favourites back towards an assumed market of standards-free kids. Rescuers Down Under actually pushed animation forwards with a new computer-assisted CAPS technology, which was employed from then on, making Little Mermaid the final hurrah for cell animation and forming the basis of the fresh and lavish-looking 90s renaissance. And Dan will shortly explain CAPS to us all as it applies to Rescuers Down Under. And we want to talk about how this film was made. We want to talk about how this film was made. Unfortunately, these days backstage at Disney appear to be closely guarded secrets akin to the Roswell incident. There was a 10 minute promotional piece made for TV and released at the time, and that's it. Even combing the internet merely finds the same 10 minutes worth of info repackaged into text form. You'll find this often with Disney. Their great successes have hours and hours of proud creative accounts The financial failures, just like with The Black Cauldron, are buried and forgotten. This means even if you love the film like we do with Hercules or Dan does with The Rescuers Down Under, you will never really know what it took to bring it into being. So, Dan, we're going to give you the floor at this point in just a minute because from the sound of it, you got a whole lot more out of this than we did. And without that crucial production history, I don't have the reference points to fully understand What happened with this movie? Or why it is how it is? See, to Sharon and I, it's a fun, pretty, charming animal romp. Much like the bulk of the Disney output between 101 Dalmatians and The Little Mermaid. It feels like two stories. The A story being an adventure about a boy discovering and befriending a great eagle. And the second being the rescuers coming to rescue him. At the end, the two stories meet up, have a bit of a tumble, and then it ends. It might not be fair to compare the A story to How to Train Your Dragon, but the potential was there, and it annoys me personally how much of this film is devoted to animal buffoonery, though Bernard and Bianca are a welcome return, and the animation is unarguably lush. So over to you, Dan. Tell us what you and other fans of this underrated gem see in it and hopefully more people will give it a chance.
3: alright actually if I call for a bio break really quick yeah, go, go into it. that
0: but yeah you're just that excited about talking about rescuers down under <laughs>
3: finally it's like, it's like, uh, the thing is run away <laughs> see the thing about
0: rescuers down under <laughs> <laughs> okay go let's go cool. I'll be right back bear in mind we just talked about the little mermaid for two hours here we had to cram these two together so yeah you try holding it when you're that excited talking about Disney you're doing okay Sean yeah did you have anything specific to say about this one um, you can say it now, actually, while it's gone. <laughs> that good, huh?
4: It's certainly a film. Um, is it? Yeah.
0: It's its so easy to forgive this now in retrospect It is that film. It
4: really, really is. And there's still nothing much that captures me about the story and I think that's because the pattern of this seems out of place after Little Mermaid it really is a continuation of the films that we've just come away from and that I spent when we were we've been watching through all of these in sequence and I've been like I we need to get out of this phase it's so Repetitive and <laughs> monotonous, and it, it's these these stories don't go anywhere. They're just about animals having adventures and, and wearing t-shirts. But at least it's clean. At least it looks good. And in terms of of the visuals, and obviously we'll go into this a bit more when Dan talks about the cap system does look amazing those sweeping shots with the eagle are fantastic yeah just if you could just trim those out and and do that as like a, a visual poem just a very short piece of or maybe of, like a fantasia piece yeah yeah, yeah something Set like that, that to
0: music with that kid make that yeah. his thing
4: astounding but the whole rest of it just yeah <laughs> This, that's not a review, that's a sound. I know, You're I know. Up in a and sound. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But it's. There's too much lizards bouncing around and visual gags that aren't really gags. The bit where I keep wanting to call him Bill, and it's not Bill, Frank. Turn me into to he's me He's trying to reach some keys hanging on a wall and they tell him to go and get something to stand on and he goes and gets a flat piece of wood yeah. that raises him up off the ground about a millimetre Arr- and then Arr- stands on that. And You're it's like, like, oh,
0: you've just wasted 18 seconds of my life. But
4: because of that <laughs> whole scene, as you rightly pointed out when we were watching it, the whole thing is framed with the cat flap in the middle of the shot. So you know... Joanna the gecko or whatever she is Is coming through Oh Joanna Is coming through that cat flap any minute It's just a
0: matter of time
4: It's sort of an offset Between they're trying to create tension Yet at the same time they're trying to do visual gags And it just feels
0: Surprise Joanna turned up Oh did she
4: (laughs) Oh and we weren't expecting That Oh that's so Um,
0: cynical I mean, honestly, this film is aimed at the very young. It, it it's is. aimed at little kids. It is. And
4: I will say, I did actually find the scene where she bit the rock and her tooth fell out quite amusing. That
3: was some great physical comedy. Danny, are you it back was. yet? I just got back. What were we talking about? Joanna.
4: Jo- uh, Joanna's tooth yes. falling yes. out. Yeah, all of that stuff with the rocks <laughs> and the
0: eggs is just Wile Coyote-style brilliance. I it love is. that stuff.
4: It is. Yeah, very Joanna's...
3: Good great gag character
0: yeah the uh, see i'd like to see more about joanna just doing stuff independently of mcleish
4: um he's terrible he really doesn't work in this for me at all he doesn't have
0: it's set in australia why the shipping tits does no one have an australian accent except for that crocodile dundee style bush mouse thing and the kangaroo of the kangaroo who only speaks like three lines. Um, McLeish should have been an Australian man. McLeish should have been voiced not by George C. Scott, world famous for playing George S. Patton, American man, but by Barry Humphreys.
2: Now, what about Lady Gwen? Lady Gwen, oh, my she? wife. Yes. She's very similar to your wife. She never sees me. She never <laughs> sees me. It's sad. Gwen, she's nice, but she's boring. <laughs> She could bore an arsehole and a wooden horse, my wife. <laughs> no, I mean that lovingly. I mean that lovingly.
0: That was Barry Humphreys on Michael Parkinson playing a character called Les Patterson, but you may have seen him or heard him elsewhere.
5: The shoe cupboard. Is there any... Where do you keep your oh, sure. shoes? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <What>? Yes. <laughs>
1: the
5: shoe cupboard. Look at them.
1: Are they all yours? Oh, yes. Lovely. You can't wear that many shoes. Not even I have as many shoes as that. What are the ones um, in the bag? Yes, those are going to
5: be thrown away in the bag. Thrown away? Yeah. In what way? Well, give them to the dustman. To the dustman? I don't no. think he'd wear them, darling. <laughs> I think it's very, very unlikely to be a very unusual dustman who'd wear them.
1: What's a couple of bites like you doing out so late, eh? Nothing. We're not doing anything. We're not even out. Great! Then how would you morsels like to come to a little... a little get-together
5: on heaven? You mean like a party?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. A party! <laughs> what do you say?
5: Well, oh, I love parties!
1: Thorin, son of Thrain,
2: son of Thraw! King under the mountain. Oh! But I'm forgetting you don't have a mountain. And you're not a king. Which makes you nobody,
0: really. Now, I realise I've probably spent a bit too much time of this episode extolling the virtues of Barry Humphreys, but, you know, just while he's still with us.
3: See, we're we're about to be talk Like, next time we're going to talk about Aladdin and, <laughs> and Beauty and the Beast. None of these movies have anyone with accents set in their in Oh, their yeah, place. no, I'm, I'm being... So
0: yeah. mean, but that's the thing, I like... You don't ex- you don't expect everyone to go all Arabian when you go to Aladdin, but if you're going to go down under, just commit to the premise that there are people who come from Australia. Okay, right. Yeah. Dame uh, Edna was that height... You're not you're not buying it. You're not jumping on board the Australian train, are you? Dame Edna was at the height of her powers, and we already know, thanks to uh, um, Finding Nemo, that and The Hobbit, that Barry Humphrey's does pretty good at the old animation and sounds like a really threatening but also fun kind of uh, villain. Whereas George C. Scott sounds kind of bored throughout most of it. And um, I, like I said, I, uh, Joanna's there in the same way that Harley Quinn is and um, that little troll thing in Black Cauldron to make him less scary. But in the end it makes him seem a bit more hapless. That The shenanigans with the eggs where Joanna's trying to get to them and he's just like moving them around it <laughs> That's actually <laughs> some of the, the better fun stuff. Um, but it's it, the as a villain, it, it's like he's just sort of cackling to himself and going, oh, oh, oh I'm going to get me a bald eagle. There's three times when sort of a gruff old poacher slash farmer is your like main antagonist. Fox and hound, this, and home on the range. Didn't work out well in the three cases. They, they um, needed a, either a more vibrant villain... Uh, one that was really memorable, or uh... Nah, just that basically. There's a, if, if they'd gone for like really sinister, then that would have just just been completely against the tone of the. Because um... he's up against Medusa, really in this. I thought the Madame Medusa in the, the original Rescuers was really uh, chilling, but at the same time entertaining, kind of like uh, Ursula, but at the same time with the whole psychological torture of a small child. She felt more sinister. Are
5: you ready, boy? It's
1: time you learned how to fish for crocs. <laughs> Ain't like it when you use live bait.
5: And you're as alive as they come.
1: <laughs> oh,
5: you get a line, I'll get a pole, baby. You get a line, I'll get a pole, friend. Oh, you get a line, I'll get a pole. We'll, we'll go, go, fishing go fishing in, in the Crocodile, crocodile, crocodile. Oh, buddy. <laughs> oh, <goodbye. laughs> That's right, baby. Supper time.
0: Again, the little kid, though, is an American. Just, just make him Australian. What's it to you?
3: I think it was like actually Norwegian or something, it? or part Norwegian. It's weird. I don't it know.
0: doesn't matter. It doesn't make
3: any sense that the kid doesn't have an Australian accent. If the whole point is
0: he's the. W- okay, Sharon, do you want to do that thing?
4: That thing. Oh. There you go. <laughs> right. I was thinking, though, given Dan's point about how Aladdin and etc. are all set in. Yeah, alternative Uh, locations and they haven't committed to the accent but at the
0: same time this is kind of a global if you're going to talk about the UN you know you're putting these pieces on the table
4: it okay it just struck me (laughs) that
0: okay if you're going to go across the world and go there's (laughs) nobody in the world who could save this Australian child who's voiced by an American except for two Americans they go all the way to America with this bouncing, like, signal. And it's like, we get to the, the, the R-E-S-C-U-E. And it's like, well, we can't give this to anyone else. But Bernard and Bianca, who, like, must be ancient as mice now <laughs> if the same amount of time <laughs> is carried on. Uh, but carry on, Sharon, you had a different point to make.
4: Yeah, there's a speech that... I can't even remember his name. Is it Wilbur?
3: The yeah Yeah, the... The
4: Albatross. Oh, yeah, he's
0: like, yeah. I don't like to have uh, John Candy. Think about any kids being trapped and uh, he's he
4: basically, he basically gives a speech about how it's the most horrible thing in the world that he can imagine um, for a, a child to be imprisoned and you know taken away from their family and that all children should be free and should be able to do what they want. And I'm just sat there thinking, this is a film set in Australia – most of the characters appear to be American. I don't think a speech about how children are entitled to freedom is entirely appropriate in this particular context. Some
0: explanation may be required for people not entirely clued up on exactly what happened in Australia, Sharon.
4: Um, okay, the...
0: Uh, British moved in, was, kidnapped had, the Aboriginal no, no, children, no, no, forced them into... No, no,
4: no, you're but, going back way too far. Oh, okay. very recent. Okay. It was, it was in, like, the the... 50s and, and around that time and slightly earlier than that and we may have to check the dates because I could be off there yeah. but basically the Australian government had a policy of forcibly removing Aboriginal children from their families and having them fostered out and adopted into white families so that they could be inverted commas brought up properly.
0: That would be a Good rescuers well.
4: Yes, it would.
0: Pretty political as well.
4: And very appropriate to to set in Australia.
0: Wouldn't do well in Australia because they'd be like, "What are you saying?" Not. And might depress audiences and freak them out.
4: I would imagine so. Yes.
0: So let's just go to this—the uh, one oppressed American white kid in Australia <laughs> <laughs> or oh, Norwegian. He might be Norwegian.
5: I'll give you a night down here to think it over. But tomorrow,
6: no more Mr. Nice Guy! that
5: oh, oh, you yeah. thick-headed chunk of fish bait!
6: That looks like MacLeish has begun trapping his own kind. There's no hope for any of us now. No
2: hope. No hope. No. But there must be a way out of here.
6: Oh, there's a way out, all right. There There is. is? Absolutely. You'll go as a wallet. You'll go as a belt. And our dear Frank. No, no, no. I don't want to hear. Frank will go as. I can't hear you. A purse. Ah no! Oh, a lovely lady's
1: purse. I don't wanna go with a purse.
2: Please, please don't let him do it. Don't worry, we're gonna get out of here. We are? Yeah. If we all put our heads together, I'm sure we'll think of something.
0: Well, if he is Norwegian, they're not going out of their way to go, look at this Norwegian boy. I think your point was, Sharon, there's actually very little that really makes it, it has to be in Australia. From its most cynical point of view, which couldn't have been the case, but it was like... The Disney animation team went on a research trip to Australia to research for this. It it wasn't the case that the Disney animation team really wanted to go to Australia, and thus they were like, well, we could probably, you know, set this one in Australia. So the next one's going to be, it's like Adam Sandler, basically, um, when they were uh, planning out the movie 51st Dates, was like, uh, we can probably set this thing in Hawaii, right? I'd really fancy going there, just for, you know, vacation. But of course, that's not the case, but...
3: I suspect it did have something to do with I can't remember when Crocodile Dundee came out but I expect it was a little bit Okay, yes. so there would have been some Australian on, fascination going Australian on in the bandwagon. States yeah, and so, it
0: is like, an it absolutely gorgeously rendered version of Australia literally
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a great setting for a bigger kind of adventure movie that this film is, like just it being very varied in the kind of environments you can get, very beautiful, very just large in scale it's a it, it, there's no reason it necessarily it's at the end of the day it's a kidnapped kid story that could happen anywhere but it just as a setting for visual appeal it definitely is a beautiful one
0: we've been leading up to this one give us what you got on on why this film is actually really okay. really good
3: so everything you'd said earlier about it being kind of just back to sort of animal animal film about it having kind of its story being a little bit weaker and kind of divided amongst a couple different little stories all that stuff is totally true and i would and i will not like disagree with you directly on any of it i do not rate this anywhere near the little mermaids and the beauty and the beast those films are masterpieces this isn't a masterpiece but i do actually still quite like it for it being one of those kind of lesser disney movies just kind of in the, the in that, Fox and the Hound, Oliver and Company, the, the, the original Rescuers, I think, I think it improves on the original film, my, personally, and it just tends to be forgotten a lot. And I feel like it deserves a little more love than it does get. It doesn't deserve to be on the same level as A Little Mermaid, anywhere near. But it, I think it's, I think it is still quite good. It does a lot of things really well. I like that they go more grand adventure style with this sort of movie. It's it's a different choice than the original film and I don't think that's a knock against the original film either. I think it's just a different way to go about things and I think it's really fun. It's sort of a family kind of family's Indiana Jones-ish kind of movie. Just we're going to a cool setting It's really that's really exciting with big lots of big set pieces and, and a fun adventure and your heroes going into the, an interesting place and I think the Australian Outback is a great setting for that kind of adventure for all the reasons i said before it's beautiful and massive and super dangerous
2: what is the point of that country i was i usually never leave the house but we all went to australia recently the whole family was a ridiculous place located three quarters of a mile from the surface of the sun people audibly crackling as they walk past you on the street That's why they all barbecue. You don't need to cook somewhere like that. You just bring the shit out, fling it on a grill, and it bursts into flames. (laughs) It's not supposed to be inhabited, and when they're not doing that, frying themselves outside, they all fling themselves into the sea, which is inhabited almost exclusively by things designed to kill you. Sharks, jellyfish, swimming knives, they're all in there.
0: (laughs) All of this casual xenophobia aside, I would actually like to go to Australia. It's got places of absolutely astonishing beauty but it does terrify me the amount of snakes spiders and scorpions you
3: get just
0: in your breakfast
3: cereal it is the femme fatale of the planet earth it's like <laughs> oh you are so beautiful and, and okay. terrifyingly Designed dangerous. To kill me. <laughs> <laughs> i think i like the dynamic between bernard and bianca more in this film than i do in the first i feel like it's much better realized somehow like Bernard's caution and nervous reluctance, just as a character, plays a lot more into their dynamic. The dynamic of their working relationship together, because in the first film, he ended up still kind of taking charge a lot of the time, mm. like being the spokesman. Anytime there's sort of a scary, unknown, dark corner that needs exploring, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. Just, I, I just presumably because just being all right, I'm the gentleman. I, this is this is why they mm. make me come along. I'm here to make sure she doesn't get hurt. He
0: seems to let her lead a bit more in this. Also, he seems to have dropped his superstition like a hot cake, (laughs) like a hot cake, like a hot potato. He doesn't have that anymore.
3: Yeah, he seems to have worked through his superstition thing. Maybe she has helped him work through that a bit. But that was part of his neurotic charm, though. I liked that about him. But yeah, like I like his his little nervous, caution, kind of timidness. And it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way that he kept taking charge in the first one because Bianca's the one with yeah, resolve yeah. and the sense of duty. She's the one who volunteered immediately for that first mission. She's the better diplomat, and of the two, she's the one who's ready to put herself in danger at a moment's notice to help somebody without a second thought. Bernard is the second thought of the team. He's he has, I mean, He's got a sense of duty, but it's not really about the mission. It's more about he wants to be there for her, and he, will, he won't leap into a dangerous situation unless Bianca just did, in which case he will follow her. Mm. That's why I like their dynamic in Down Under so much more, because he's only there because she is. She's practically dragging him every step of the way, and he's kind of the third wheel most of the time. So at the end, when he is forced to take charge and be the hero because all the capable people are stuck, hmm. it's actually a bit more of a big deal. And I kind of like that.
0: I do like the bit where he, uh, there's two bits. One where uh, he clocks the Crocodile Dundee mouse. I don't even know his name. Bros, probably. Like doing the sort of the, uh, the stretch and cuddle with Bianca. He's like, hey, he's putting the moves on my woman. Um, it's the
3: same move he did in the first one. Yeah, it's but, like...
0: it, it, it's, it's, um, but it's more slick. If you remember, the, yeah. uh, the original one in the, in the first one was sort of like, I wonder if she might hit me if I do this. and No, oh, it's okay. Yeah. She's actually dead. And she nuzzles up to him. It's a lovely, sweet moment. But in this, he's just like going, do, 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 do. going to put my arm around you because I do that with all the sheilas. This charismatic kangaroo mouse's name is Jake. Um, and just that Bernard, Bernard's fury at that point is great. And then when he just sort of jumps, he's on his own and toddling after them, and he jumps on top of that boar and orders him around. He's like, right, you're going to help help me out at this point. That's a great bit of assertiveness. I really wanted more of Bernard and Bianca in this. I counted, by the way, 27 minutes yeah,
3: I in, like an hour and well.
0: in an hour and 17 so I would have rather had a lot more of Bernard and Bianca, or a lot more of this kid and the eagle.
3: It does feel too balanced almost. It's it's there's not really an A and a B so much as a, a kind of a pair of stories kind of happening together, and they yeah. do interweave nicely, and it works. But it doesn't provide enough, as much focus as you really want to either one.
0: It's almost like they chopped enormous chunks off of both of them to, just to ram them together. And um, unfortunately what was left behind in a lot of that was the emotional core. The bit with the kid climbing up the rocks and then falling down and then the, the, uh, the eagle coming and saving him. That felt like we were in the second reel of the movie. That felt like there'd already been an adventure going on, and we we already should know about who this kid was. They, you know, the, the he runs out. The first thing we do is we meet him. We're like, well, what? Do we, what do we know about this kid? What's his relationship with his mother? Doesn't matter. No time for that. He, he goes and talks to the animals. Like that he's not the least bit faced by the fact that this kangaroo is talking like a person. Again, we commented on this in the first one. It's a world where animals talk. They just choose not to, except around certain children. And they go, "You got to climb that cliff." And that is a big ask. Just scale that cliff with no climbing equipment. Try not to fall to your death. What about the kookaburras? Oh, they they try flying up, but their wings hurt. <laughs> There's so many animals, here. surely something can fly up or fly him up. But no, he's got to climb up there and he does fall to his death. And I love the fact that he's crying as he's falling. That's a wonderful touch. I've never seen that in any film before or since. And that's a wonderful soaring moment, and it happens four minutes into the film. It's way too early. That's a, that's a thing to just sort of like, did you know, the test flight bit in *How to Train Your Dragon*. Yeah,
3: that's yeah. That's like
0: the middle of Act Two. It's ah, oh, it's really too rushed, and then there's so much time of being captured, and with this bloody lizard thing, Frank going, "Oh no, don't turn me into a belt." And all this, like this miserable, bitchy old koala. And just too many animals. And just way too much of that. Too much of MacLeish gloating. My God, does he gloat.
3: Okay, that's the one thing I will actually disagree with you guys on. I actually not... love George C. Scott as MacLeish. Like, <laughs> Why? I, because, look, MacLeish is not complex at all. And he's just a cutthroat dude out in the wilderness and I wouldn't necessarily even say he's better than Medusa, because Medusa does have a bit more maybe not complexity, but there's a bit of that manipulative bent, and that's actually sinister applied, just because it feels kind of real, applied to a young kid Mm -hmm. this guy is much more big and cartoony but like but George C. Scott's plays that so well just the cackling laughing big shouting like Joanna you eat those eggs and get your tail up here move it just like screaming the way he does like, I just I love his crazy. I just I, I kind of love him I don't know if it would have been better if he maybe had a bit more complexity and sinisterness to him. As it is, he is kind of like, like in any Indiana Jones film, he is just a Nazi villain who is kind of cartoonish and not complex. He's a Nazi, but he's still kind of fun. And you look forward to seeing him get getting beat. And there's still some humor around between him and with Joanna. I enjoy it, but I can like, but he is super simple. Beast. So,
0: I would have so loved for him to be Barry Humphreys. I'm gonna feed you to the crocodiles. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna do. That would have like made it totally worth being in Australia for.
3: I love your impression of him, by the way. No <laughs> I can supply that for as long as required. Okay, go <laughs> no, okay, yeah. Okay, but um but I will say like that uh, going from the eagle rescue in the flight at the beginning. One of the things I love most about this, especially compared to the first film, mm-hmm. is the score because the first movie score felt very weak to me, just and it wasn't pulling its weight half the time. <laughs> but Bruce Broughton's score for Down Under is just wonderful. It, it sounds like someone asked John Williams to score Indiana Jones for kids, it and this is more or less John what Williams. you
0: would get. Indiana Jones it's, is for kids, eh, not for little kids like this. Yeah, it's
3: right. not. It's not. Yeah, it's it's Indiana like it's. India, if Young Indiana Jones was a movie. And good. And good. Then this is what that score would have sounded like. Because it's, I mean, it's not necessarily iconic the way Mencken's work is, but I still really like, especially that flight, that whole flight sequence. The score really completely sells it. It's a cool little, se- it's a great sequence on its own and I, probably my favorite part of the movie, but that score is half the reason. It's just that big triumphant music. <laughs> We're okay,
4: still on. laughing. It's been a long week.
0: The bit where John Candy's Orville – is it Orville? Uh, Wilbur. Wilbur. Sorry, brother of Orville, who the the actor who died in 1988. And uh, this was actually Eva Gabor's last uh, film. She died only five years later. Um, at the time of recording this, uh, Bob Newhart's still alive. Um
3: yeah, there are way too many great people in this movie who are dead now. Yeah, Raft was a, a major part of production.
0: That's, again, why I don't really feel too uh, cruel about it. And, uh, you know, compared to this other movie that we saw the other day, which I will not speak of, um, this is The Godfather.
3: I, I don't know if the, the boy who voiced Cody is still alive, but I don't like his odds.
0: Oh, yeah. Considering the uh, yeah, drop-off rate. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, the the, the point where um, Wilbur jumps out of the uh, aeroplane, uh, it just shows how much we have movies we've been listening to recently, and uh, or, or Jim Belushi movies we've been watching. That when he goes
2: Bow
0: I couldn't not laugh because that's the only way to enter a freestanding body of water in the '80s. <laughs> Passengers
2: are requested to please fasten their seatbelts and secure all carry-ons. We'll be departing following our standard pre-flight maintenance. Thank you! (laughs) Yeah, loosen up, get the blood flowing up to the head. And a couple of these. Oh, okay, one's enough. There we go. Oh, ah, yeah, that feels better. Oh, baby. Tie your kangaroos down, sports fans. Here we come! Yeah, let's go for it! Whoa. Hey, I didn't adjust for the wind. All right, we're gonna make it. I just had to duck down a little lower. That's all. Go under the wind. Go under it. Here we go. <laughs> oh, this is cold. Whoa! Whoa! We got it. Whoa! Hey, slippery. Ice! Ice! We got ice. We got ice. Whoa! Hang on now. Whoa! Here we go! Here we go! Here we go! Here oh! we go!
6: It's a non-stop flight to Australia. Well, uh,
2: not exactly. No, uh, no, I could definitely say no. We're going to have to make connections with a bigger bird nonstop. What do I look like? Charles Lindbergh?
3: I've been saying how good Disney was about deploying CG in their traditionally animated films in the subtle way. The flights uh, through New huh? York and Sydney are the exception. Those are super 3D. <laughs> yeah.
0: That reminded me of, uh, have you ever seen the professional Golgo 13 I haven't. No. It reminded me of that, where they go from ropey looking 80s manga uh, anime to really, really ropey late 80s, um, like vector graphics type uh, CG. It's it's all kinds of horrible. So it's like the worst of both worlds.
3: <laughs> yeah. So Certain shots work better than others, but that's one of the exceptions to that general rule. That one definitely felt... Very, very 3D. but this was um, the beginnings of Pixar. The,
0: the people the company that would the, the people who originally founded Pixar were just sort of like helping these guys out with the, the, um, the, the 3D graphics here and uh, it was actually um, it was actually mm-hmm. Peter Schneider, the guy we mentioned before, the, the guy who had the un- unnerving smile who actually ended up um, brokering the deal that would effectively make Pixar a separate company that would collaborate with Disney.
3: Yeah, they would have been starting. Obviously, Disney's animating this whole thing using caps, which is Pixar develops But yeah. Pixar also would have been starting work. Maybe not on Toy Story quite yet, but no, very,
0: left. very soon though. Yeah, they were getting around yeah. to it. They were working on their shorts at this point,
3: though, weren't they? With things yeah.
0: like Red's Dream.
3: Yeah, they would have been doing shorts and some commercials.
0: Eighty-seven, so it was after Red's Dream. Jeez, you're crazy. So what came after that one? Might have been the tin Toys? eighty-eight, knickknack, eighty-nine. Knickknack, yeah, it was yeah, knickknack.
3: That was their yeah. last one until Jerry's game. So yeah, they would have been that early, pre, like pre-production toy story probably was starting to happen around here. <laughs> <laughs> I love knickknack,
0: even with the enormous boobs. <laughs>
3: I do actually like it's just it's kind of a small thing, it's not a big deal, but I do like how they flesh out the mouse underground world a little bit more in this one. Like the first film just showed us the Rescue 8 Society meeting secretly mm. in the UN, which which is cute, but like I love the whole sequence where they relay the SOS message across several locations in the Pacific and someone has made tiny Hawaiian shirts for those mice.
4: <laughs> Probably Cinderella.
3: And uh, like Bernard and Butyanka are dining at a table hidden up in the fancy restaurant's chandelier. I mean, it's not a big Waited deal. Waded on just,
0: by cockroaches.
3: Yeah. I just like seeing, it's fun seeing a little bit more of a glimpse into that hidden world, which they never really make a big deal about in the movie.
0: Yeah. But, uh... the I would like to see these characters return, uh, voiced, uh, if, if we can get Bob Newhart back as Bernard, that'd be brilliant, Um, but with uh, the, the best impersonator of Ava Gabor in the business. Uh, but I'd like to see more than that. I would like to see The Rescuers, Basil the Great Mouse Detective, and Chippendale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> and then a Nick Fury mouse comes in and goes, There was an idea for an initiative called The Rescue Rangers. It didn't pan out well. We're going to get these guys back together. And the Basil Mouse could be like the great, 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 great grandson of Basil, the great mouse detective, sort of a modern day Benedict Cumberbatch style Sherlock. And basically, it sounds funny, but that would totally work. (laughs)
3: That's so stupid and I want to watch it.
0: (laughs) Chip Dale, Monterey Jack, Gadget, Bernard, Bianca, Basil and Dawson's great, 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 great grandson. And the Rescue Aid Society is basically Shield, and the Rescue Rangers are like a group that, like, the Rescue Rangers are basically the Avengers. It's, it's not that stupid an idea in terms of relaunching this. Could be an ongoing TV series, frankly.
3: If not, that a would movie. be really fun. Yeah. yeah, they totally would have done something like that in '90s Disney Channel. No, they had like Tailspin. Tail they had like uh, what else? They, they had a bunch of different. Sh- they had Ducktales, well, Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers, Chippendales and
0: Dale's Rescue Rangers, <laughs> Jummy Bears.
3: Was Gummy Bears Disney? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah,
0: that it was it an was 80s Disney, though. They used some of yeah, the assets yeah. from uh, Black Cauldron.
3: And they had, like, Darkwing Duck and. Yeah. no this is certainly not a masterpiece easily the lowest uh, i guess it depends on how long you count the renaissance but the lowest of the quality of the renaissance films and very much kind of from an era of pre little mermaid broadway musical sort of just before that formula had been tapped into it kind of, it does feel kind of from a previous era yeah but with better kind of better execution and art and such but i still for just being kind of the light not super there's not a whole lot of depth to it it's like and indiana jones it's like a like raiders does not have a whole ton of character development or arc so much not nearly so much as like the the, as uh the last crusade does say but it's just like a big fun adventure like with really with fun characters and this is not this is no the lost arc by any stretch either but it feels like more that kind of movie and i there may be people who, who would prefer
0: it. it to say Kingdom of the Crystal Skull.
3: Yeah, or me to Temple of Doom, but that's fine. But <laughs> still, like, I do still enjoy it. I feel like it doesn't get quite the level of appreciation that it should get. I oh, don't it's definitely that. overlooked, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it but was... But Disney don't
0: make a big fuss out of it. This is the thing. I, I thought this was going to be what your thing about Katzenberg was. When this film came out... Katzenberg phoned. I can't remember who it was. Um, I think it was Schneider. might have been Schneider, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, it was like the day after uh, the uh, the opening. And Schneider was like, okay, what have we done? And he said, five million dollars. It's over. And Schneider started to cry. And he, uh, Katzenberg said, almost gently, it's okay. It's over. We'll start on something else. And that something else turned out to be Beauty and the Beast, which they were already working on anyway. But, um, The idea. This goes back to your thing about th- you did a video on this. Failing fast. Did you do that?
3: I did. yes. Yeah. That Sorry, was I thought, you. I yeah.
0: Were, yeah. I thought you. Had, like we're gonna we're gonna keep going. Sorry. No. Is- I'm, we're gonna keep going. I'm just wanting to you know, like a grunt of recognition at that point. <laughs> like, oh yeah, failing fast. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's something that um, you know a good businessman is able to do to accommodate the fact that you can fail and keep going. The idea being. People weren't going to love the rescuers down under, and that was that. But Katzenberg cut all of the advertising for it because when Disney fail, they totally fail it. They're like, right, we're just this isn't, you know, we'll we'll send this one out to die. Same with, I mean, Home on the Range. We've already established there's something kind of fishy about the fact that it was made with such low it seemed like that that couldn't possibly ever be a film that would make anyone happy. And it's almost like it was sent out to die to suggest that 2d films were dead. And similarly, Mars needs moms was sent out again with all advertising cut and only in a token amount of theaters, seemingly to suggest that performance capture couldn't work. It's almost like they're these sacrificial lambs that Disney need to, uh, to put out there to keep the ones that they have actual faith in alive it's a shady f- business.
3: It does seem that way sometimes. It's hard to always figure out the motivations for it. Because one of the reasons this one did tank is because it opened against Home Alone, and that's not a battle you can win.
0: Home Alone destroyed all.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Simply put. And it's probably true. Rescuers Down Under was not going to catch fire after taking a beating like that in the opening weekend. So... As a just a financial decision, like cranking out, it's it is not a Little Mermaid or a Beauty and the Beast or an Aladdin or a Lion King, not even close. But uh that's a siren <laughs> it's coming to take the ambulance coming to take the rescuers away. <laughs>
4: it's
2: okay. Let's try again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Easy, easy does it. Yeah. No, 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 yeah somebody shut
3: him up it's not fantastic i enjoy it for what it is i like it i enjoy watching it more than the first but uh we are about to be talking about so much better Mm -hmm. it was a small defeat right before an enormous triumph several in a row
4: i can see where the frustration came from though because if you take frankly if you take little mermaid out of the sequence and switch these two I actually think I would have appreciated The Rescuers Down Under a lot more if I'd seen it on the heels of Oliver and Company. Of that selection of movies, Mm. the the madcap adventures of animals in t-shirts, it's probably one of the best.
0: I didn't counter Sharon on this one, but if we look at everything that happened after Walt's death, I prefer The Aristocats to Rescuers Down Under. I definitely prefer Robin Hood. Definitely prefer Winnie the Pooh. Most definitely prefer the original, The Rescuers. Fox and Hound, eh. Black Cauldron doesn't really count as not an animal adventure. Great Mouse Detective, I prefer to Rescuers Down Under. Oliver and Company, yeah, it's got catchy tunes, which I prefer to The Rescuers Down Under. So actually, yeah, the, the opposite for me is true, Sharon. The, uh, this is only better than The Fox and Hound. I would, however, say that in terms of animation, it blows all the rest of them out of the water unless you find the Xeroxing and uh, pencil scratch animation process of things like 101 Dalmatians and Winnie the Pooh to be more charming than the Caps effect, which I do. But technically, Rescuers Down Under is more of an achievement.
3: Yeah, that is the thing. I mean, these films are being worked on at the same time. This would have been in the works early in the early works as Oliver and company was like beauty and the beast would have been already in some production form while this was being worked on. Aladdin probably still would have. Ashman was writing songs for it. These like, this feels like it is a bit from an earlier era from a pre little mermaid era. And it, it a lot of the work on it kind of was.
4: Mm.
3: So and if you, it, if you... this cemented really that little mermaid is the way to go in the future
4: yeah but if you if you take it purely visually the australian backdrop is gorgeous and the animation is beautiful and for me personally it's only because i give so much weight to story and narrative and character that it doesn't click there's so much going on visually that that would click otherwise
0: having said all of that here is a wonderfully charming scene that I could have done with a lot more of in this rescuers film that features the rescuers for less than a third of its running time.
6: To my dear Bernard and our wonderful partnership.
1: Uh, yeah, 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 uh, wonderful.
6: You've been very quiet this evening. Is there something on your mind?
1: Well, um, actually... I, uh, I... I was wondering...
6: Yes, darling?
1: I... Miss Bianca, would you... Would you... Would you excuse me for a minute? Pardonnez-moi, mademoiselle Bianca. I have important news.
6: Yes, Francois? What is it?
1: You and Bernard have been asked to accept a dangerous mission to Australia. Oh, a poor boy. This is dreadful.
6: Now, where is Bernard? I must tell him at once.
1: Allow me, madame. I will tell him immediately. <laughs> Miss Bianca, will you marry me? Quickly, Monsieur Bernard, Miss I Bianca, must speak will you... with you. Please marry me. Not now, Francois. I'm busy. No, 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 monsieur,
0: you don't...
6: Bernard, did you talk to Francois?
1: Uh, yes, but uh, there's, there's something I know I want... exactly
6: what you're going to say. Francois told me all about it.
1: He did. How, how, how did he?
6: Oh, it doesn't matter. I think it's a marvelous idea.
1: You do? I mean, you you really want to?
6: I don't think it's a matter of wanting. It's a matter of duty.
1: D- duty? Oh, I, I never thought of it. Well, uh, um, all right. All right. How, how does how does next uh, next April sound? To
6: you? Heavens, no. We must act immediately tonight.
1: Tonight? But uh, wait.
0: Also, you've got to think about timing. It's, you've got to really be in a mood to want to watch a film set in Australia with the word colon down under in the title. <laughs> I know it sounds. No, it's, this is serious because it's like this is something you've got to strike when the iron is hot. Imagine Disney doing a vampire movie now. That's kind of a hit and miss. You know, the amount of time it takes to actually do an animated film. Obviously, with Big Hero 6, superheroes ain't going away immediately. uh, But they might at some point. People might get sick of superheroes. But if they did vampires now, where it's just past people giving a toss about vampires, they, they might have another loser on their hands. It's a case of they took a risk setting it down under at all it might have actually made more sense for them to simply calling it The Rescuers 2. And the fact yeah. that it's set in Australia yeah. is kind of, here, neither here nor there, not massively advertised. Not necessarily a selling point, but it doesn't necessarily have to also act as a reverse selling point.
3: That's true. Yeah, if you're... like Obviously, a great film like this could be set in Australia at any time and be, and be wonderful, but if you're banking on it being, like, Grab it, jumping onto the train, and it's still the siren. <laughs> a
0: bad thing. Just don't talk
3: about it. It can only barely register. Okay, that's good. I can't. I can't tell how loud it is. Is it's it a tiny little rescue society ambulance
0: that keeps driving <laughs> past
3: oh Oops, we ran over the movie back up.
0: Also, speaking uh, of which, there is an unsettling amount of enforced unnecessary surgery in this film. <laughs> Oh, forced upon poor Wilbur Orville. Or, which one is it? Wilbur. Yes. Wilbur. The sea, the, the albatross. It's like they're just they're intent on injecting him with stuff and then <laughs>
3: chainsawing him. Like, this takes up
0: a good like maybe an eighth
3: of the running time. I don't know about that much, but I don't, know it's as, a uh, lot. I don't know about
0: when you've only I don't got know that much about Australian minutes, healthcare when you've only got 27
3: minutes of Bernard and
0: Bianca you can't waste five minutes on unnecessary surgery with a, a psychotic shrew <laughs> funny <laughs> though it may be although um, the, uh, the nurse is played by Russie Taylor who I believe is Martin Prince in The Simpsons <laughs> I can hear
3: that yeah yeah
0: Oh, man. Interestingly, uh, one of the lands in Itchy and Scratchy Land was Unnecessary Surgery Land, <laughs> clearly inspired <laughs> by The Rescuers 2, which is what it should have been called. Yeah. The other yeah. thing was that you know, it, uh, just doing a sequel at all is like, for the first time ever, you're asking people to uh, to to see something again of a film that was at the time successful, but only because the original cost 1.2 million.
3: Yeah, this is definitely. Sort of a risk. I mean, it's hard to imagine sequels being risks, risky at all. But it's definitely the first one Disney has ever attempted.
0: Well Yeah, I mean, there's a risk because the first one was uh, 1.2 million. The uh, The Rescuers Down Under uh, cost. It doesn't say because Disney won't tell us that kind of thing. But I'm going to go ahead and guess what with the fact that they tend to factor in new technologies. So, for example, Ooh. Tangled cost a lot, the cap system cost a lot. This made 27 million total
3: lots. Yeah, they did not make much money. <laughs> But they lost. They lost a lot of money. On the other hand, if this
0: is effectively just a tech demo to just get to train your animators up in how they can, you know, then move on to doing Beauty and the Beast, that worked. Yeah, if as you a, make some as, money back from just uh, you know the investment in the tech, then so be it.
3: Yeah, as a warm up and the, as a way of just learning the technology they were going to be using for all these other big Renaissance movies. But it's very successful, and it still looks great. So, and having that experience and that time to kind of work out all of the little production issues and get the pipeline working, I'm sure it helped significantly in making much bigger movies like *Beauty and the Beast* and *Aladdin* and all these others that are having to get finished in a year's time. Mm-hmm. It, uh,
0: I'm, just, I'm sure it didn't hurt. Another selling point, which we really haven't made enough of, is the late, great John Candy, as whichever Albatross brother he's playing, who will never, ever not be wonderful.
2: Don't ever do that to me again! Oh, boy! I lost a lot of feathers on that one. Wilbur, am I Ooh. glad to see you. Uh, Give me a hand with these eggs, will you? Yeah, sure. Wait a minute. What the heck are you doing up here anyway? The kid never took the boy and Jake... Miss Bianca. Miss Bianca? Miss Bianca's in trouble? Whoa! Hey, well, that's that's terrible. We, we gotta do something. Bernard, I'm disappointed in you hiding under a nest while Miss Bianca needs our help. I gotta talk to you, mister. Wilbur. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should start searching the desert for her, and I i yeah. I'll scan the coastline. Wilbur. That's what I'll do. Oh, that's the chicks on the Wilbur. beach. Wilbur! Huh? What? Now listen. There's some chicks right here that need your help. Really? Oh no. Wait a minute. Hold it i know what you're thinking and you're wrong don't even no don't look at me like that you're getting no from me you understand no i will not ever sit on those eggs uh nuts <sighs> gotta learn to be more assertive no is no is no <sighs> hey quit moving in
0: there okay i think we'll leave it there that any any like more it. words on the rescuer's down under i'm just thinking beyond the unnecessary surgery it, uh, I
2: do
4: think any bits
0: is- that you can think of
4: I do think it's important to be able to see it in context of the, the Disney catalogue. Yeah. I mean I keep coming back to this but the uh, one of the main advantages of watching them all in sequence is being able to see how they all fit together. Mm. I mean I may rail against the, the 80s decade of or, and beyond um, series of, of animal movies that really don't interest me that much and I, I I think, were a little bit of a waste of time. But ultimately, the money that came in from those films was enough to keep the studio going until they had a point where the talent and the desire and the direction and the audience all came together to be able to create the magical ones. Ultimately, yes, people look back on Disney and the ones that leap out are the massive successes, but the other films kept them open, kept them working. ...stopped them from having to throw everything out... ...and close down and and fire everybody.
3: Absolutely. That's, I mean, again, part of why the... ...Overture It's a Little Mermaid is such a... is a thing I love so much is... ...it feels like... ...just a big dramatic triumph. After the studio has just scraped their way... ...through some really ugly times... ...this is the music that kind of... ...sets off their... ...biggest victory... And it, and I love, I mean, obviously the history doesn't end there. We're going to have some more dark times afterward, but it's after such, so many rough years and so relatively few huge triumphs since Cinderella, arguably. It's really, the Little Mermaid is just feels all the more special.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, even though we've had dark times afterwards, it wasn't like Disney was going to go anywhere at that stage. Basically, once yeah. we got to 2000, Disney was set. They'd made enough money to be able to um, have invested wisely to the point where they were not so much unkillable, but one, like, like two or three movie failures were not going to close down Disney. They were just maybe, uh, they would rethink their animation wing.
4: I think yeah. they're probably unkillable now.
0: Yeah, they now Following, own Star Wars and Marvel.
4: No, 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 not... not in, I mean, obviously, Disney as a studio yeah. are unkillable, but the animation department, now that Frozen has made what it's made. Because, you see, this is the thing. They don't have to produce billion-dollar magic every time. All they have to do is do it often enough that the people in charge remember that they can go. they can go back to doing that every now and again. And they'll keep taking the chances in the hope that the next one will be the next billion dollar performance
3: yeah. also if
0: you look forward to the current um golden age i can't call it anything else that we're going through uh, with uh, the, uh, the the new disney films if you switch the positions of tangled and winnie the pooh it does require you to have to do that that it pairs up uncannily well Princess and the Frog is the the, the re-emergence of the princess and the setting the tone for what it's going to be. And it followed on from Bolt. Winnie the Pooh is their callback to their sort of previous series of, hey, remember these guys? Nobody? Okay, well, moving on then. (laughs) The people who saw it and loved it, it's great, but uh, everyone else just doesn't give a toss, that's fine. Then they come back with a true triumph with Tangled and uh, just knock it out of the park again with the princess motif beauty and the beast wreck it ralph what the boys movie adored by girls everywhere and yet there, it has incredibly uh, widespread appeal that, that that one appealed to a lot of adults as did aladdin and then frozen a lot of people were sort of uh you know the frozen the snow queen can disney really do this one Similarly, back in the 90s, they were like, this, you know, this new Pocahontas film, this one's going to do gangbusters. Not sure about The Lion King, though. Another animal adventure. Frozen goes on to make a billion dollars. Lion King, one of the most beloved uh, animated movies of all goddamn time. So um, we can expect, after these, if it's going to follow the same pattern, something of a downturn in terms of profitability... Like, maybe the, uh, Big Hero 6 ain't making a billion, I can say, right now. Correct, it made 657 million. But the films that came after The Lion King, really fantastic in their own right. They may not necessarily have made the same box office, but I love all the Renaissance, up to and including Tarzan. Zootopia broke a billion. Moana currently, and bearing in mind it's still in some theatres, is at 484 million, which is... A lot less than Frozen, and I personally prefer it to Frozen. But if you want to look at this just in critical terms, Pocahontas netted a 56% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, it's not an exact science, and I'm not going with Rotten Tomatoes being a gauge of quality. I love Pocahontas. Uh, But uh, Zootopia, 98%. So they broke a billion, doing really well with critics and audiences at the same time. Hunchback of Notre Dame, another classic that I adore, 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Moana, 95%. So technically, the current Golden Age, they are doing better financially, better critically. And still no sign of a dud. I've jinxed it now. Now The next one's Wreck-It Ralph 2 in March 2018. And then Gigantic in November 2018. I'd say, if, we, if we're going to call this just the 90s and stop at Fantasia 2000 and say there are some fa- there, there are a couple of fantastic ones that followed in the uh, decade afterwards, but if you look at just the renaissance moving you know, from Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, Beauty and the Beast Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunters, Hunchback and Notre Dame, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan that's a productivity that no studio could ever dream of, and if they knew what was going to happen going in, they might have done things differently in terms of how much money they threw into the ones they thought were going to, you know, really grab the uh, the public. They may have put a bit more advertising into the ones that that, that needed it. And I think ultimately, with uh, Rescuers Down Under, let's see, it was uh, late 1990, November 1990. It followed on almost exactly a year to the day, like one day out from Little Mermaid, and Beauty and the Beast was a year again ahead. Maybe it would have been an idea to let Home Alone play itself out. Wait until late January, then launch. It's kind of a dead zone for movies, but sometimes you get you out of left field little adventures. Get a little advertising behind it. Call it The Rescuers Two. Maybe this thing could really have flown.
3: Yeah, it could have at least done a little bit better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. So next week, Beauty and the Beast and then Aladdin, and then the Lion King. How much do you love us, folks? (laughs) (laughs) And we really, really do recommend, if you have the means to get hold of the entire Disney back catalogue, do this. Go back, start watching them from the beginning. Keep the uh, viewings of them relatively close together so that you can really get a grasp of it. Watch the extra materials if you can. You get such an idea of a company growing and maturing and waning and then coming back with a bang on that bombshell thank you very much sharon
4: thank you for having me
0: and thank you once again to dan
3: i'm having so much fun doing
0: these things (laughs) me too cannot wait for beauty and the beast we may even get a guest on for that one we shall see okay so i've been alex shaw
4: i've been sharon shaw
0: and neural Neural handshake handshake complete. complete
5: When they're around The chips are now